Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. If you have been with us, you know that we are going through the book of Romans. And uh, in fact, we're taking 30 weeks through the book of Romans. Uh, the, the good news is we're going to finish the book of Romans in June. Um, and the other good news is, is that we're not going to all do it at the same time. So we're going to take breaths and breathers. Uh, but if you've been with us, we've been actually going through the introduction of chapter one of the book of Romans. And so just a really quick recap. Paul is writing a letter to a church that has been planted in Rome. And in that letter, in the introduction in chapter one, Paul introduces himself. Um, Paul then introduces what the entire letter is going to be about, and I'll explain that in a second. Uh, But Paul introduces himself. Paul greets the church that he's writing to, and then ultimately he introduces the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, this entire letter is going to be the anatomy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you're a believer in this room, or maybe you're not a follower of Christ, maybe right now you're just kind of, you're unsure and you're seeking Everything that the church is built on is on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our Christianity, our livelihood, our foundation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the book of Romans is Paul kind of opening up the hood and taking a look at the engine of how the gospel works. It's the anatomy of the gospel. And so um, what you're going to see throughout the book of Romans is a, a systematic logical breakdown of what we believe to be true about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So um, has anybody ever said this to you, or have you ever said this to anybody? I got some good news, and I got some. And then what usually follows after that? Like, which one do you want to hear first, right? Which one do you want to hear? Which one do you hear? Just kind of yell it at me. Anybody ever want to hear the good news first? Okay, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I'm glad it's only one person because then my illustration wouldn't work. But, uh, but no, I appreciate that. But for the most part, those insecure people like me, <laughs> right, uh, we usually want to go with the bad news first, right? Um, and, and I guess there could be a couple of reasons why we do this. I know for me, the first reason is the hope is um, if I end with the good news, uh, then the bad news, it won't sting as much. Right. So like, give me, you know, sting me, hurt me first and then, you know, give me the good stuff. Right. But also, um, how about this? Sometimes we can't appreciate. We can't appreciate how sweet the good news is. Right. Until we're first confronted by how grim the bad news is. Right. We can't appreciate how sweet the good news is unless we're first confronted by how grim the bad news is. And this is exactly the direction that the Apostle Paul is going to take in the next few chapters of Romans. We're actually going to stay in this area for the next couple of weeks. Um, Hear me out. To get the good, we need to understand the bad. To understand God's mercy, we're going to need to know his judgments. And I want you to get ready. And why would I say get ready? I always say put your seatbelts on. It's going to be a little turbulent. Because for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what is unpopular and culturally unacceptable, yet absolutely necessary for us to believe if the gospel is going to have any impactful change in your life. What do I mean by that? For the next couple of weeks, we are going to talk about what is culturally unacceptable and what is unpopular, 
but is vital for us as followers of Christ that we need to believe if the gospel is going to make any kind of impact in your life. Amen? So I got some good news and I got some bad news. Here's the bad news. Are you ready? Yes, God is angry with you. Yes, you deserve it. And no, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Happy birthday, Inspire. Um, I think that's a good time to pray. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word that is true. And Lord, I recognize that in the next couple of weeks, we are going to tackle a subject that the culture is triggered by. We're going to talk about some things that even we might wrestle with internally. Um, But God, we believe that your word is true. And Lord, uh, like medicine, we know that even if it doesn't taste good, it is important for us. And so I pray that you would guide me, Holy Spirit, and that, you know, as we joke and we make laugh and we make light of some things, I also pray, Lord, that the heaviness of the truth will sit so deep inside of us, Lord, that it it will cause us to move. And I just pray for anyone in this room that is feeling stuck, anyone in this room that is feeling passionless. Anyone in this room, Lord God, that just needs to hear from you, I pray even in the bad news, Lord, that you would move us, that you would move us closer to you. And so I ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you were with us last Sunday, we asked the question, if the gospel is the power to save, then what exactly do we need to be saved from? Has anybody ever asked you, like, well, what are you saved from? You know, uh, you know. Girl, I'm saved, right? I'm saved. I'm sanctified. You know what I mean? We walk around and we get so churchy with these words, right? I'm saved. I'm saved. But when you say you're saved, do you know what you're saved from? You see, that's, that's a legitimate question to ask. Okay, like I'm saved, but what am I saved from? Or if you go to someone and say, hey, you need to be saved. Uh, well, what do I need to be saved from? It's a legitimate question. Why would you say that? Because if somebody out of nowhere just started running around my apartment complex yelling, save yourself, knocking on all the doors, and I answered, save yourself, save yourself, but there was no real, I didn't really perceive any impending danger, right? I would probably think they were crazy, right? I would probably go outside, I'd look around, but if, there was all, if it was all peaceful, if there was no, I couldn't really smell a fire, I couldn't see anything chaotic, I waited for me, and I mean, I would do my due diligence, but at the end of the day, I might think to myself, yo, that guy is crazy. And I think that's how the world thinks about Christians sometimes. But listen, if you truly believe that there was some kind of impending threat, like if you truly believe that there was some kind of impending danger, If you truly believe that, you would do whatever it took to secure salvation for your friends. I mean, to secure salvation for yourself and and those that you loved. Are you with me? Do you hear me? Like, if you knew there was an impending threat, there was a danger, you would do whatever it took to secure salvation for yourself and for those that you love. So Paul begins his breakdown of the gospel not by telling us that we need to be saved, but by first explaining what it is that we need to be saved from. Are you with me? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Romans chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 18, I believe, through 23. 
But I just kind of want to land on verse 18 for a couple of moments. The scripture reads like this. Ready? For the wrath, somebody say wrath. And I'll never do that. I never, somebody say wrath, wrath. But that's so important. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. This is going to be shocking, but this is going to be true. You ready? We don't primarily need to be saved from ourselves. We don't primarily need to be saved from our circumstances. We don't primarily need to be saved from our past or our pain. We don't even need to be saved from the devil himself. What you and I most desperately need to be saved from is the wrath of God. Man. That's not the Christianity I'm used to. Well, that's because that's not the Christianity. That's not Christianity. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know this is not a popular subject, but you need to hear me out. If we don't seek to understand the wrath of God revealed from heaven, then we're bound to diminish the love of Jesus displayed on the cross. Listen, if we don't seek to understand the wrath of God revealed from heaven, then we are bound to diminish the love of Jesus displayed on the cross. So here's what I want to do. I want to do the unpopular thing today, and I want to unpack for you three characteristics of God's wrath. This is the inconvenient truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so interesting because the gospel means what? The good news. I guess you could say this is the bad news of the good news. Three characteristics of God's wrath. Paul says, you need to be saved. And you might ask, what do I need to be saved from? And then Paul says, the wrath of God. Let me tell you, first thing, are you ready? The wrath of God is foundational. Three characteristics regarding the wrath of God. The wrath of God is foundational. You know, as I was reading through this, it's pretty telling to me that out of all the places, right, that Paul could have chose to start, like Paul Out of all the places that you could choose to start your logical breakdown of the gospel, out of everywhere you could have started, you chose to begin with God's wrath. Right? You notice Paul didn't say, well, God loves you. God loves you. God has a plan for your life. Instead, he opens his gospel presentation with saying, God is angry with you. His wrath is coming. In fact, if you read in the Greek, it says God's wrath is being revealed. He says God's wrath is here and it is coming. He didn't say, hey, hey, you need to be saved. Why? Because God loves you. God has a plan for your life. No, he starts with the wrath of God. Now, please, please don't misunderstand me. God does love you. God does have a plan for your life. But can we just be honest for a second? There are many people who already have plans for their lives. And you know what? They're perfectly happy with it. Listen, in order for me to embrace this salvation that you say I need, I need to be convinced that it's offering me something that I can't already get on my own. This is why our Christianity is not based on the promise of a better life. In fact, some of you became a Christian and things got worse. This is why our Christianity is not based on the promise of a better life. This is why our Christianity is not based on the promise of a happier life. Some of you became a Christian and you got less happier. This is why our Christianity is not based on our comfort, our dreams, or our purpose. I'm so tired of pastors 
preaching a false gospel that they're trying to get you to come into Christianity and believe Jesus because he's going to give you a plan and a purpose for your life. Yes, he'll do that, but that is not the primary reason why you do this. Listen, listen, and call me a hater, and that's okay because there are other churches that are out there, but I have to be honest with you. Without a proper revelation of the wrath of God, the church can only preach a powerless gospel. Offering to damned people what the world can already offer them and do it much better. Isn't that crazy? The world can offer you a plan. The world can offer you a destiny and a future, and the world can offer you a career and more money and to be happier. You can do that somewhere else. So why would anybody really, really need the gospel? I'm going to tell you why. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ can offer you something that no one else can offer you. And that's forgiveness and reconciliation. And that is, are you ready? Safety. A place to run into and hide from the wrath of God. You see, when churches make it all about happier life, better life, and don't get me wrong, guys, please, you're gonna, you'll hear me preach some of that. And don't. I have to backpedal just a little bit because I believe when Christ comes into your life and you begin to fully worship him, fully love him, fully engage, that there are going to be times in your life where God is going to make you feel light. You're going to feel good. You're going to feel beautiful. And I don't want to dismiss any of that, but I'm going to tell you that's not the base of your Christianity because there are also going to be times when you feel terrible. You feel dead inside. You feel hopeless, and then you're going to have to cling to the cross. And I can't say this enough. The gospel of Jesus Christ did not primarily come to make it comfortable. In fact, if you're a true follower of Christ, you're going to be uncomfortable because the Holy Spirit's going to constantly be pushing you to look like Jesus. And can I tell you something? That's not comfortable. When, when, when the Holy Spirit tells you, hey, you need to go and forgive somebody, that's not comfortable. When the Holy Spirit begins to convict you and tell you, hey, you went over the top there, you need to apologize, that's not comfortable. I'm going to tell you, when the Holy Spirit is doing the work inside of you, he's actually going to cause you to be uncomfortable so we must understand that the apostle paul has started with the wrath of god because the key question is if i need to be saved what do i need to be saved from and the answer is you need to be saved from god's wrath second thing about the wrath of god god's wrath is universal universal what do i mean by that in other words everybody is under it why because all have sinned Sin is one of the great and most humbling equalizers of all mankind. Sin knows no race, knows no class. All have sinned, whether you're rich, you're poor, black, white, or brown, or everything in the middle. All have sinned. We all must stand before the Lord as guilty sinners. Here's a radical statement. Are you ready? And it's not tongue-in-cheek. Both the Pope and Hitler are under God's wrath. We have a tendency to think that God's anger is only reserved for the worst, don't we? I mean, I said that in a very, like, uh, I try to give you guys what I feel are, like, in our culture, two of the exact opposites. But we have a tendency, and you may say, oh, what? what? You, we have a tendency to practically think like this. Let me explain what I mean by that, right? Like, the wrath of God is only reserved for the worst, right? Uh, the rapists, the murderers, those who harm children. But, but when we think about ourselves... Right? Don't we, don't we say to ourselves, haven't you said, I'm a good person. I do my best. Right? I, I, I'm not perfect, but, but I try hard. I, I provide for my family. I, I don't hurt anyone on purpose. God's not upset with me. He's upset with Hitler. 
But Paul disagrees. Because this line of thinking, this is what it leads to. And this is key. Are you ready? It underestimates how holy God is and how sinful you are. This line of thinking underestimates how holy God is and it underestimates how sinful we are. Can I just tell you, let, let's, let's get Hitler out of here. Let's get murderers out of here, rapists out of here. Let's get all that. Let's just talk about us. The difference is Grand Canyon and the gap in your teeth. I, I couldn't think of it. I was trying to think of something else. <laughs> what, what do I mean by that? <laughs> we, think, we think that God's really not that holy, and we're really not that sinful. So the gap between him and I can be easily bridged with my works. Right? Do you see that? We think that, God, you're really not that righteous. You're really not that just. You're, you're really not that holy. And on the other, we think, you know what? I'm really not that simple. So put those things together. The gap between me and God and his righteousness is just a couple of good steps away. Listen, why would we need to trust Jesus if we could do it by our own good works? Right? If you just did good and, you know, I love people. I give a couple of bucks to the homeless every once in a while. I do my good deeds. If it was just your good works that brought you right with God, you would never need the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm going to obliterate that idea. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, I'm going to shatter that idea. The gap between God and us is Grand Canyon. And you know who really desperately needs to hear this? Right? Some of you are like, those sinners. <laughs> right? Those people in the world, you go tell them, Phil. We need to get out there. We need to desperately tell them that they are so bad and they are so far from God. You know who also needs to desperately hear this? Christians. Can I just say a couple of things? As you grow, thank you, in the gospel, as you grow in the gospel, are you ready? It should produce more humility, not more pride. Mm. How about this? The more you admire the cross, the more evident your need for it becomes. You know, you want to know what the true mark of Christian maturity is? It's not someone becoming less worried about their sin, but becoming more aware of it. You, I don't think we understand this. Some of us, we've been going to church for a very long time, and some of us, we carry this mentality that I've been in church for so long, and I'm a mature believer, and you just think that you don't stink. Right? I go to church. I've been doing this for years. I deserve. We're so entitled. Here's what the gospel teaches that the longer you've been a Christian, the more you should serve. The longer you've been a Christian, the more you should forgive, not the harder it should become to forgive. That's what maturity is. And we tend to think of maturity like, well, how many years we've done it for? I know some Christians have been a Christian for two years, and some Christians have been there for 20 years, and the two-year-old is more mature than the 20-year-old. And maturity is your submission to the Holy Spirit as he produces fruit in your life. I know this is tough. I know this is tough. I know this is tough. It's not someone who's becoming less worried about their sin, but it's someone who's becoming more aware of it. In fact, if you've been a Christian for a very long time, the more aware of your sin, the more you need the cross. And the more you need the cross, the more humble you become, broken you become, and the less judgmental you become. Now, remember, I define judgment. I want to tell you something. 
if I'm holding somebody accountable and I am correcting you, that's not me judging you. Do you understand that? We live in a culture now where you can't even correct people. Because they immediately call it judgment. But what I'm saying is, when you see someone falling in sin, when you see failure, when you, when you see it around you, you begin to pray. And you begin to ask the Lord, what, what are you calling me to do to share the gospel, to exemplify the gospel? How can I disciple people into the gospel and not necessarily, not necessarily criticize and ridicule and look down at? I didn't plant this church to fill it with a bunch of Christians. I planted it to fill it with a bunch of sinners that would come to the cross and recognize their need for a savior. Amen? It's not, we plant, that's why we planted this church. Told you this would be a little tough, yeah? The, the more conscious we are of our Grand Canyons, the more thankful we'll become of Jesus Christ. Amen? So number one, the wrath of God is foundational. Number two, the wrath of God is universal. All of us have fallen under it. And how about number three? God's wrath is original. Original. What do I mean by that? Paul says, did you catch that? God's wrath is being revealed. And here's the key word, from heaven. It's being revealed from heaven. It's originating from heaven. It's God's wrath. Now, what, what does that mean? Let me break that down for you. And I think this is going to be really helpful for a lot of us in here, especially if you're in this room and you're a seeker. You're, this is the first time you're hearing this. It sounds kind of hard and harsh. I think this is the area where I feel like you're really going to see what we're talking about. Number one, here's what it doesn't mean. When I say uh, God's wrath is original, and Paul says it's revealed from heaven, here's what it doesn't mean. Are you ready? Number one, it does not mean that God's wrath is impersonal. It's not an impersonal wrath. And what do I mean by that? You see, some have misunderstood God's wrath to be an indirect cause and effect experience, like the results of a bad decision. You guys see it? Like, I reaped what I saw. Like, I, I made a bad mistake, and as a result of that bad mistake, I'm sowing some judgment. I'm sowing some pain, right? I decided to go in that direction, and I know I shouldn't have. I decided to go with that person. I decided to do this. I decided to do that, and as a result, I have been bit by my own decision-making. There are some people that limit God's wrath to an impersonal kind of law, kind of like a natural law of nature in which that God has placed his wrath in the idea that you reap what you sow, and that's about as far as the wrath of God goes. And so God's wrath, even though it's evident, it's impersonal. It's not directly from him, but it's something that you did. You guys, are, are you guys with me with that? And I want to tell you that, yes, yes, we do experience pain from the results of our bad decisions. But to believe that that is the extent of God's wrath and that God isn't directly involved is to make the dangerous assumption that even some Christians make. And that's the assumption that God's never angry, right? God's not mad at you. God's not angry. God loves you. The wrath of God is not impersonal. How about number two? <laughs> and this is going to be helpful. The wrath of God does not look like yours and mine. This is going to be empowering for a lot of us in this room who may be feeling the heat right now. What do I mean? What do I mean by that? You see, for many of us in this room, that word wrath is very triggering. When we hear it, we immediately think of someone who's unstable, over erratic, and very vindictive. But I really want you to get this. One view makes God passive and permissive. One view makes God a passive and permissive enabler. 
while the other view makes God out to be this bad-tempered abuser of power. But neither of these views are biblical. God's wrath is not some uncontrolled fit of rage. Are you ready for this? I want you to write this down. But God's just displeasure with sin. You hear that? I need you, I need you guys to get that. God's wrath is not some uncontrollable, erratic, unstable fit of rage. But it is his just displeasure towards sin. Have you ever had something belonging to you vandalized? I laugh. Every time my wife and I drive, she now sees spots of the graffiti everywhere. She is the graffiti queen. And it, actually, she hasn't in a while. She's laughing. But whenever we're driving, babe, graffiti is increasing. I'm like, babe, graffiti's always been this. She goes, no, there's more graffiti than ever before. Right, and as we're driving, I'm looking, and I won't let her know that, oh, I agree, there is some graffiti. And I'm like, okay, there's a little more graffiti, you know, but... Have you ever had something belonging to you vandalized, right? It, can it be a real, like, disturbing feeling? Um, I remember we had our car broken into, like, our window just shattered. And it was so funny because <laughs> it don't put a lot of stuff in your car, right? You're just going to invite people, right? So I just didn't take stuff out that night. In the back of our car, we had, like, these suitcases and all this stuff in there. Well, someone just shattered it and went inside. And I laughed because it was Bible school books, <laughs> Bible college books. And so I walk out, and I'm like, oh, someone shattered the window of the car. Oh, someone got into the Bible college books. And I go around, and the books are all there on the ground. I'm like, that's right, you thieves. You better repent and believe the gospel. Take one book, you know what I mean? Like, if there's anything to steal, steal my Bible books, go home and get saved, and someone's going to be preaching like 15 years from now. Like, you know what? The Lord saved you one night. I didn't know it, but I broke into a pastor's car. I took the Bible and a systematic theology book. Oh, my good. Good Lord. <laughs> but, I, but think about this idea of something being vandalized, right? Maybe it's something you bought or maybe it's something you built, right? Like P3 brings home these things that I have to build. And thank God it's so much easier these days because I'm not good with my hands. You guys know that. I tell you this all the time. And, you know, I build stuff, but, you know, somebody walks in, like, they step on it, and it breaks or whatever. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, oh, it's okay. But internally, man, I built that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it may not mean nothing to you, but I built that. But maybe it's something that belongs to you that's been vandalized. Um, maybe something that you built, and as a result, right, you really loved it. You really loved it. And then all of a sudden, right, it's destroyed. It's stolen. It's, it's completely ruined. Are you hearing me? Look, vandalism is bound to cause a reaction when it touches something that belongs to you. Now, even though God's wrath looks nothing like ours, we can attempt to understand it. Why? Because God has created this world. God has uniquely fashioned and formed you, and sin has vandalized it. And you know what's really amazing? If you read Genesis, while God was creating and when God was finished creating, you know, he made these proclamations. He said, it's good. It's good. It's very good. Yet now when he looks down on the good things that he has created, a place that was meant to be free from death, free from disease, free from decay, all he sees now is mankind in sin refusing to acknowledge him. To think that God would not have a personal reaction towards this 
is to simply not know the God of Scripture. Now, I want you to know this. Paul knew that many wouldn't like this idea of God being angry. He knew that some would be offended by it. Some would be repulsed by it. Some would even think it was unjust. So Paul doesn't just tell us about the existence of God's wrath, but then he begins to lay out a case as to why you and I deserve it. You see, it's one thing to say, I want to be saved, or what do I need to be saved from? And someone says, the wrath of God, but it's a whole other thing to say, well, I don't think I deserve it. That's unfair. But Paul, as he systematically breaks down the gospel, he says, what I'm going to do next is not just tell you that the wrath of God exists, but I'm going to show you why you and I deserve it. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 23 reads like this, and it'll be up here on the screens. Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. I want you to look at this. Now he's going to get into it. He introduced the wrath of God. Now he's going to explain why we deserve it. Who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of this world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal god for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things stop right there paul says two reasons why all mankind justifiably deserve god's wrath are you ready number one because god's existence is obvious number two paul says if God's existence is obvious, then that means that man's rebellion is deliberate. Hmm. Let's break that down. First, Paul says God's existence is obvious. I don't know if you caught that. Paul uses words and phrases like plain, shown, and clearly perceived. In other words, Paul argues, are you ready? Here's Paul's argument. You may not agree with it, but here it is. Are you ready? Paul's argument is that there's no such thing as an atheist. There's no such thing as an atheist or there's no such thing as an agnostic. Now, you can call yourself that, but Paul would argue there's no such thing. How come? How could you say that? Because creation reveals creator. Listen, and I know you can have some real scientific debates, and I'd love to have Rogers really. We would love to go into it. But let me just give you this understanding of why there's no such thing as an atheist. Paul says what is visible gives credibility to what is invisible think about it the existence of creation the beauty of creation the complexity of creation paul saying the wonder of what we see should produce in awe of what we cannot so paul concludes humanity's problem is not a lack of evidence but a lack of worship it's not that we don't know the truth. Paul says it's that we what? We suppress it because we don't want to be what? Accountable to it. You guys hear that? You hear what Paul's saying? It's not that there's enough evidence. Paul says there is evidence. It's visible. You can see it. 
There is a maker when you see something complex and intricate, full of systems. You can't help but think to yourself, there is a designer. When there is a design, there, this is logic. This is just logic. And here's so crazy. In any other platform in the world, we would know that something is created, but the one thing we deny it is in creation itself. And you know what we do as scientists? We just put a billion years on it just to make people think it nothing created nothing. Because the more time we put behind it, the maybe the more possible it'll see to our minds. But I want to tell you something. Whether it's a trillion years or whether it's two years, nothing creates nothing. I know, I get it. Some of you are like, that guy, we can talk about this. <laughs> so Paul concludes, humanity's problem is not a lack of evidence, but a lack of worship. Humanity's problem is that we suppress the truth. Paul concludes, why do you and I suppress the truth? Because we know that if we allow it to come up and we see it for what it is, then we have to be accountable to it. <laughs> we have to be accountable to it. We have to answer to it. As a result, Paul says... As a result of that, man's rebellion is deliberate. If God's existence is obvious, then man's rebellion is deliberate. And then Paul says this, and in our rebellion, we've become two things. Ready? Truth suppressors and idol makers. You guys see that? Did you guys see that? We become truth suppressors and idol makers. What is a truth suppressor? Right? To suppress something, to suppress it means to what? Push it down, right? To ignore it. But you know what's really crazy? What goes up, what goes down always comes up, right? Like you ever went into a pool, right? You ever pushed a ball underneath it and ultimately that ball pops right back up? Paul is arguing that even though man likes to push it up, that it likes to show its head every once in a while. You see, what do you mean? Philly, what do you mean that mankind, truth comes up? Even the atheist, even the agnostic, what does it mean to suppress and push down? But what does it mean that it comes back up again? How, what do you mean by that? Let me just say something. When somebody is facing death, all of a sudden, eternity matters. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's an old saying, there's no atheist in a foxhole. Or how about when someone declares there is no God, yet con continues to make moral claims on the basis of good and evil? If you say there is no God, and Roger has said this many a times, if there is no God, if there is no moral good, if there is no lawgiver, then you cannot say something based on good and evil. A truly, truly atheistic worldview believes that we are all no one who came from nothing going nowhere. There is no right or wrong. Yet people say things, believe things and claim things that do not logically follow with what they say they believe. Paul tells us, you know why they do that? Because they've suppressed it, and it can't help but pop up. It can't help but leak to the surface sometimes, so that even an atheist can't help but think in alignment with the existence of God. You guys see how this is taking place? Paul says, here is the gospel. You need to be saved. Safe from what? You need to be safe from the wrath of God. What? That seems unfair. I don't deserve that. Yeah, you do. Why? Because God is plainly made known to us, but yet we have deliberately rebelled to him. How do we do that? We do that in two ways. We suppress the truth, and then finally, we make idols. We become idol makers. What does it mean to make an idol? What is an idol? Christians, lean in. Lean in here, because we do this all the time. 
You ready for this? Here it is. An idol is something other than God that we look to for ultimate joy, ultimate peace, ultimate meaning, and ultimate satisfaction. Uh, I came in today looking all skinny. <laughs> I know you, you see it. You see it. <laughs> Mark, you know where that came from. Um, forgive me. Looking all thin. I said, I got to start working out, though, because I'm just going to look like, you know, like I might be a little sick. And, uh, but, you know, I'm, you know, there's a lot of us in this room kind of going through our little health kick, right? Some of y'all working out, looking all good, too. I see you guys eating right, right, feeling good. And I think that's great. And I feel like that produces like a more positive reflection of yourself, right? There's an empowerment that comes from that. You guys feel that? I know I do. I could wear shirts I never wore. I mean, my belly was popping, right? Like, I don't feel bloated, right? I mean, I'm just, come on, walk with me here, guys. Don't leave me hanging, yeah? I mean, y'all acting like you ain't working out. Are we good? <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> but you know, like, there's, you feel good about yourself. You know, you're working out. You're doing things. There's confidence. You're wearing what you were in the war before. I see you. Looking all good. But I want you to tell you something. Your weight doesn't hold your satisfaction. Right? Your health doesn't determine. Right? There's something deeper than that. But if you place your happiness in how you look, if you place your joy, like if you can't seem to find gospel joy in the ups and downs of your health, if you can't seem to find gospel joy in these different areas, then, I, then I'd have to say, praise God that you're doing something to get healthier. But I'm still wondering, at what point are you going to address the heart? Because, look, you could change your clothes, you could change your body, but there's a heart in there that still desperately has a cry for the gospel, community, discipleship. And we could do all this stuff, but we could change all these things. And for a moment, we can maybe even get enough endorphins to feel good about ourselves. But at the end of the day, there's a deeper thing that desperately needs to be taken care of. Amen? And so can I just warn you and I'm not caution you that as you get your body right, you know, be transformed by truth too. And, and look, I... You know, we've been talking about this in our connects, right? There, there are different strokes for different folks. There's some single mamas in here. You got some kids. You, I mean, you, it's tough. Life is tough, right? Carving out time to do anything else besides like laundry and watching the kids. And, you know, there's some of you in here, not single moms. You're, you're married and life is tough. You're working full-time jobs. And then you're coming home and being with you. Everyone in this room, can I say this, has a good excuse. A good one. A really good one. But even in the midst of your good excuses, and again, I'm not saying, you know, right, some of you are, have been so, and some of you, we've been so manipulated by churches and ministries, right, that the next thing is going to follow if you don't go to connects, you're in sin. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is just how, how are you feeding? Are you feeding yourself? And maybe, you know what, I just can't make it. I just can't, they just, man, I just can't find time and I just can't. Then, then are you creating that time? Are you finding a space? And it may not look the same, maybe not three hours a day or one hour, but what are you doing? Because I could tell you something, you're creating time for other things. Yeah. Uh, gosh, and I don't want to be that pastor, okay? I, I love it. I'm doing it too. But I just want to say, guys, like, we're creating time. We can Netflix. 
We can do so many different things. Right? We, got, we, we can. We really can. And all I'm just saying is, can you just take the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you can just allow it to take your next step? That's your next step. Yeah. I'm getting off of my soapbox because I might get in trouble. And I'm not a pastor who apologizes, but I am a pastor that wants to be, uh, I want to be understanding and compassionate like Jesus was. He told the truth. He was a fierce truth teller, guys. But he was compassionate. Did you know like in the Roman households, they would set up like household gods? And in fact, like all over the pagan world, all over the pagan nation, right, they would fashion, ready? They would fashion out of metals these statues. Some of these statues would be animals, right? And some of these statues would actually be human and animal put together, right? And here's what they would do. They would worship these as God. Are you with me? I know we got a lot of movement in here, but are you with me? They would worship. They would place them on pedestals, almost like our TVs, right? We, we put that thing right in the middle. And you come to my house, it's there too. So I'm with you in this, all right? But, but, but the idea is that you, you walk into this house and you can see these gods that these people find their ultimate joy, ultimate meaning in. Just put right there. And uh, you know what's really crazy is we kind of look at that as kind of archaic, don't we? You know, we, you know, none of us in here have these images, but can I tell you something? What they used to do in metal, we do in mental, right? And it's just this idea that behind that, you go beyond the image, the carved image, you go to a heart. And in that heart is a suppressor and an idol maker. And idol worship is the fundamental sin of the human heart. It is. And I want to I finish with this. We started today um, with three very inconvenient truths. We started by saying this, and, and I said, happy birthday after it, right? <laughs> Number one, are you ready? Yes, yes, God is angry with us. Number two, yes, we deserve his anger. And, and number three is there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Now, in the midst of all of this really very bad news, there is good news, right? There is hope. There is a hope for hope, something beyond, right? Amidst all of this very bad news, there's, there's another way to be saved. And please hear me out here. The same God who is justifiably against our sin is still willing to save us through the death of his son. You hear me? Yeah. Like, I could have said everything else, but this is the same God who is justifiably just he is justifiably against our sin. He's still willing to save us through the death of his son. And here's a mind-blowing thing. Every sin ever committed by anyone will be judged by God. Do you know that? Think about that. Every sin ever committed by anyone will be judged by God. God is so holy. He is so right. He is so just that it is impossible for him to overlook or pretend like one sin doesn't exist. Sin must be punished. So here's what your faith will decide. Sin must be punished, but here's what your faith will decide. Are you ready? Here it is. Your sin will either be punished by God judging you or God judging you in Christ. Man, you hear me? 
your sin will be punished by either God judging you or God judging you in Christ. In the cross, Jesus Christ. In the cross, Jesus Christ. We see both the wrath and love of God in one moment colliding together for all mankind. On that cross, Christ was judged and took the entire wrath of man upon him. And he was executed and he was tortured and he was tormented and he hung and he bled and he died for the sins of this world. So that now you and I, if we by faith would put our faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ, we would be saved from that wrath that is certain to come to mankind. Yes, God's wrath is coming. Yes, it's coming for us. Yes, we deserve it. And no, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, but thank God for the beautiful cross of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the cross of Jesus Christ. And church, not only are we called to embrace that for ourselves, but we're called to declare that to the world. And then let the Holy Spirit does what he does and draws mankind to him, Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We just take a moment just to stay here for a second. Thank you, Jesus. Just right where you're at. That comment. I just want I want that to marinate for a little bit. Either my sin is going to be judged by God in me or my sin is going to be judged by God in Christ hallelujah hallelujah and I'm going to say a prayer for everyone in this room but before we do we're just going to take a moment just to reflect and worship the beauty of a savior who's taken the sin of the world upon his shoulder for those who would trust and believe for those who would repent and believe find safety from the coming wrath of God if you're in this room this morning and you're not sure where you stand with God if you're in this room this morning and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you say yes yes I, I, I know that I need to be saved and yes I know I need to be saved from the wrath of God and yes I, I know that I'm a sinner like I don't need nobody needs to tell me that I have fallen short I know it every day of my life. Jesus would say that's the starting place. Repent. Admit that you are an idol maker. Admit that you are a sinner in need of a savior. That you wouldn't just stop there with admitting your sin, but then that you would put your faith in Jesus Christ, who was sinless, who led a perfect life, and who was put to an innocent death. And in that death, the wrath of God came down on him. And on the cross, we see the righteousness, the justice, and the wrath coming upon Christ for you. So that if you would put your faith in him, in Christ, you would be punished. But in Christ, you would be forgiven and reconciled back to the Father. 
And as the church, we now walk in this new identity. Our identity is not sinner, but sanctified by a savior, a saint. So I pray right now for everyone in this room. I pray for the unbelievers in this room. Holy Spirit, you do what I can. You draw them closer to you. Lord, I pray for the Christians in this room who are struggling. Lord, I pray that they would live out their identity as a saint, loved by Christ, loved by God, but rescued from wrath. Lord, we just repent and we believe the gospel every Sunday, every day of our lives. And we honor you. Our our hearts, our bodies, our minds, we honor you as worship. It is worship unto you. Worship. Can you just write where you're at? Can you my body, even what I do with my body is worship. Even what I do with my body is worship unto you, unto you. Even when I go to work and I don't feel like it's, there's no church service there, I, I do it unto you. I work unto you. Everything I do is unto you. So, Father, we love you. I just thank you for three years here at Inspire. I pray that you would continue to mold us and shape us into the church that you desire us to be. Pray that you would also mold and shape churches all over the Bay Area. You would raise them up so that the gospel would be made known. Lord, we love you so much because even though we're so bad, you're so good and you've made a way. You've made a way. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.